Fred, what's the secret of your success? Teamwork. I do a tremendous amount of teamwork, and I always have a plan. Come on. Yeah, my plan. I knew from the beginning there was never a phantom. The Luna Ghost is, in fact... Since June marks the 15th anniversary of the live-action Scooby-Doo feature film, uh, myself and a couple others who, in the podcasting Scooby-Doo universe, have decided to get together and have a little bit of a chat. So joining me today is Nick Robes from What's With You, Scooby-Doo. Hello! And Billy Seaguire from Scooby-Doo's or Scooby-Don'ts. Hi! Or is it just Scooby-Doo's or Don'ts? <laughs> It's it's Scooby-Doo's or Scooby-Don'ts, but there's a character limit on Twitter, which is why my Twitter handle is Scooby-Doo's or Don'ts. Can Fair I enough. say really quickly, that just seems like an oddly specific podcast. <laughs> wah, wah. You would be correct. <laughs> you know what's funny is that every time we do the intro, I have to read off of a card because I have not yet memorized what that intro is. I have I have another film related podcast called For Your Consideration, and we have a Humble little break. blurb. We have a little blurb at the beginning, which I've been saying for a year and a half, and I f it up like probably three or four times every recording. The only thing that I do specific that I do uh, consistently is the uh, Carl Sagan thing at the end, and for some odd reason, I said it once one way, and it stayed that way every time. Smart. We have a few. <laughs> bits that we tend to keep saying the same way. It's just that one intro of the Oddly Specific podcast I always mess up. But you guys alternate who says what first, right? We do, so so half yeah. the time I mess up. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, th that phrase has an oddly specific cadence as well, which you can trip over pretty easily. Yeah. I like it, though. I wouldn't change it now. That's a little late to Let's change Let's keep jerking now. each other off. <laughs> <laughs> hey, even when I'm not trying, I'm getting the behind-the-scenes info. <laughs> <laughs> all right so we're talking about this live action movie right so we've all sat down we've all watched the film correct yes yes uh my girlfriend wanted you to know that uh she was very disappointed she had to watch it <laughs> <laughs> once you've seen it you can't unsee it <laughs> so when did you guys first see this movie and what was your impression of it at the time oh wow when i first watched it honestly it probably would have been just a few years after it came out probably like on the movie network sometime on a saturday afternoon and really it was probably before i got into scooby-doo hardcore so i i think i remember it being a bit better than it was or is <laughs> I just um, because now i can have an objective read of it <laughs> I just want to step in and just point out how awkward it is to hear someone voice the words getting into Scooby-Doo hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Scooby-Doo. <laughs> 
I myself, I, I believe I saw it in the theater back in back in twenty twelve or two thousand and two, and I remember enjoying it. I remember walking out and thinking like, "Wow, they got Scooby right!" Like this was an epiphany. I, I was quite thrilled with it. And as the years have gone on, it has not aged very well, in my opinion. No, I think it stayed locked in two thousand two in a very <laughs> real and sincere way. I mean, that's the thing for me. Like, I feel like what I noticed or what I noticed slash notice about this movie has not changed whatsoever. But like the weight that I give to the things that I'm noticing is vastly different. Like yeah. I remember watching this movie. I, I think I, I'm pretty damn sure I saw it in the theater in 2002 or 2001, whenever it came out. And I was like, Oh, like Matthew Lillard's doing the shaggy thing and he's knocking it out of the park. Mm -hmm. uh, and like I remember seeing that I remember seeing Linda Cardellini playing Velma in that way Freddie Prince Jr. playing Freddie in that way and uh, who's the other one? <laughs> Sarah Michelle Gellar Sarah Michelle, Michelle Gellar oh okay uh, playing Daphne in that way and then I remember like Sugar Ray was in it Rowan Atkinson was in it I remember all those things but they meant something different to me in 2001 if this that film, makes any sense. This film was a stepping stone on Mark McGrath's way to hosting a uh, game show. <laughs> <laughs> I think, Every morning. <laughs> I think as far as the not aging well, I don't think, like I don't look at the movie and think, oh, it looks dated. I feel the writing is dated. I feel that they were trying to make it very hip and very now in 2002. And I think that's the stuff that yeah. didn't age very well. Well, I also think it's really? a genre of movie they don't really make anymore. It's that kind of mid-budget family comedy action movie that it's it's like pre-rise of the superheroes. I'm also interested to hear about, like, okay, so it feels dated. I get that. But when you take into account that James Gunn wrote this, I, I don't know if I feel that it, it's dated in the way that, like, uh, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back is dated. Or something like that. Because, like, when I think James Gunn before this period, I think, like, PG porn and, like, trauma films and stuff like that. And it does feel like that thrust into Grandma's house. You know what I'm saying? There is another writer listed. There is Craig Titley. Craig Titley and James Gunn were responsible for the story. So I think it's kind of the structure of the story, the, the very obvious things need to escalate as you get to the end. You know, there has to be a big ex special effects extravaganza. Like, Scooby-Doo could end on a very quiet note and still be very Scooby-Doo. But, of course, this sure. is a big-budget, you know, $85 million motion picture, so mm -hmm. they got to Howard the Duck the hell out of it. There's a lot of stuff in this movie that does feel very James Gunn to me. There are some really great asides and little jokes, mm. but it's, it's, when things, it's when things get big that I think mm -hmm. it loses me a little bit. Well, it's interesting the way that you said that they had to end on a big special effects extravaganza. And that makes sense because, like, structurally, the final showdown happens after the unmasking, which is such an anti-Scooby-Doo thing. I actually would like, have been happy with just the reveal of Scrappy. And, and they, no yeah, giant they, Scrappy attacking them all. If they ended it there, like, I would have... Scooby-Doo, <laughs> where are you? I would have felt very satisfied in a Scooby-Doo film that ended with, you know, somebody holding Scrappy up by his tail or something and just sort of dismissing him. That is fascinating, him. though. But, like, if you, if you think about it, from a Scooby-Doo perspective, the unmasking is always taking the power away. Like, that's the moment where the person is, the, the, the you know, 
uh, villain is defeated. In mm. this, that almost empowers the villain to now be like, I fooled you. This is who I've been the whole time. Yes, you, you're done. You're done. And then they have to, you know, whatever, uh, fight a luchadori, right? Is that what happens in the third act um, of this movie? Well, Daphne Daph- fights Daphne a luchador. Fights. Sure. Well, it's it's more like Buffy fights a luchador, if we're being honest. It's it's more like Sarah Michelle Gellar's stunt double from Buffy fights the luchador. <laughs> Wait, yeah. hold on. I feel like I read an article about that. Where would I find that? Uh, are you talking about the Rogues Portal article, the Daphne Velma or the 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 Daphne Buffy connection? Oh my gosh! Wait, no. I feel like yeah. I feel like it's something like RoguesPortal.com. Like, nope, I don't have it open anymore. Sorry. The Daphne Velma connection was an earlier version of this script. <laughs> yeah. All right. Actually, that's something that I do want to talk about. Do we want to wait on that for a bit, or do we want to jump on the whole R rating thing now? We can do that. Yeah, we can Whatever you want to do, man. This is going on your podcast. <laughs> if you don't like if you don't like where it lands, you can just edit the conversation and throw it in later. I just didn't want to step over. Billy had a point he wanted to make about the the action scene, or not Billy. Uh, Nick wanted to make a point about the action scene. I mostly just wanted to talk about how that luchadori is the most ridiculous <laughs> random thing ever. Literally, my notes. I think uh, three notes down, I have ha. Luchadori wrestler San- Santos stand-in. I love his introduction, actually, though. Oh, when, yeah. When the I guy's like, it's... and my sidekick, whatever, my little sidekick, mm-hmm. Zarko, who you may have seen on Telemundo. But like, That felt very Scooby-Doo to me. And I, I think that was like a smart aspect of setting this movie in a theme park, in that you could believably have these cartoony, over-the-top characters just around. If we're going to if we're going to go down this uh, rabbit hole, Stephen Grives, Grives, Greaves, Grives, Grives. Guys, I need to know. What do you think, Grives or Greaves? He is so good in this movie. He has the best faces. He's... <laughs> but like, he's also like the perfect combination because you don't know who he is because he he might be a cult leader and he also might just work for Disney. <laughs> yeah. The piano scene, I think, defines his character the best. <laughs> the way he sits down, yeah. Do you guys remember in uh, Live and Let Die when uh, Baron Semity comes out in the like actual show in the hotel? And they're like, Baron Semity, he cannot die. <laughs> That's how I feel about this guy. I'm like, he's as good as uh, Jeffrey Holder? Nope, that's the wrong name. Eh, I'm not going to look it up. I really enjoyed him too. I thought they're obviously playing him up. He's the he's the red herring, for lack of a better word, because mm-hmm. they're <laughs> trying to hide the whole Rowan Atkinson being the bad guy, Montevarius. He's not mm. innocent though either, so he's not quite a like. I wouldn't put him in a minor no, mention. I'd put him in a villain. That's true. He's he's totally a villain. They're all villains. Everybody everybody who's like on the administrative side of Spooky Island <laughs> is a villain. <laughs> Except for, like, the <laughs> Saddam Hussein version of Rowan Atkinson in the hole. <laughs> oh, thank you! The worst thing about him is that he smells horrible. Okay, we're talking about Rowan Atkinson. Rowan Atkinson is sure. one of the points that I wanted to, to bring up as a, as a conversational point. Originally, Tim Curry was offered this role, but he turned it down because he hates Scrappy. And he's always hated Scrappy. So really? then they went and they looked for somebody else... And they got Tim Curry has thoughts on Scrappy Doo. <laughs> Tim Curry notoriously likes Scooby Doo, correct? 
Am I, I wrong about that? Yeah, that's. I think that's why he came in and he did the... Uh, Witch's Ghost. Yeah. Ben Ravencroft. That was his way of coming back in sort of to the franchise because of his missed opportunity. Sure, yeah. I wrote a song about him, so uh, check that out. <laughs> <laughs> that's available on SoundCloud. <laughs> Bandcamp, come on, please. I'm a musician. But yeah, so uh, I'm so, kind of glad that Tim Curry turned it down though, because Rowan Atkinson is just delightful. And I agree. Fr- like one of my favorite parts of this movie, like he's he just gives it that wacky edge. You can believe he is scrappy, and you can believe that he's innocent at the end. Like he, he plays both sides of it. Well, it's almost that Mr. Magoo kind of like, what? How did I get in this hole? And you're like, oh, I believe you. It, like, uh, I don't, well, like if Tim Curry had exited that hole and been like, oh. How did I get in this hole? Like, I don't know if I'd be like, I think Tim Curry would have played it a little more arch, whereas Rowan Atkinson has that awkward clumsiness that I think Monteverius needed. He just looks so frail. He's small. He's a small man. I did find it interesting, though, that they had to have him come out of that hole at the end because they didn't want you to think that, you know, Scrappy had done away with him or something. <laughs> I think if they hadn't done that, I just would have assumed that it was a fake identity all along. Yeah, right. Like, that's like, literally what I thought until Rowan Atkinson came out of the hole. And it, why did he have to be real? That's what I originally thought. Because, but somebody says um, it was the what is the bald Stephen Greaves? What, what's his character's name? Greaves. Oh, uh, it, oh, wait. It's hold on. I wrote it out phonetically. It's Engu Tuana. Okay, Engu Tuana. He talks about Spooky Island was built 10 years ago and Monteverius had angered the spirits, yada, 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 assuming that, you know, anybody who wanted to do their research could like go in and be like, oh, yeah, Spooky Island, you know, it was built 10 years ago. It opened 10 years ago, whatever. That would mean Scrappy has been planning this for a decade, which is not. It's not unfeasible. I don't think it's not unfeasible, but it's a little extreme. Whereas when he comes out of the hole and he's like two years ago, that little twerp showed up that that sounded more probable <laughs> Wait, i kind of so like the, the timeline of it yeah timeline here eight years of like just festering and like you know uh, uh red threads in a in a, a bedroom with a mattress with pictures of rowan atkinson being like all right i'll take over this island well who knows what scrappy was doing in in that eight years but the the luna ghost was two years before spooky island yeah that's the only definitive time frame we get and the flashback where they leave him just outside yucca flats yeah that there's no definitive date can we, t- can we just dive into the luna ghost really quick sure you guys got some time <laughs> <laughs> i wrote three thousand words i'd like to read all of you <laughs> i have a haiku uh can we talk about uh nick so what are like, your thoughts on the luna ghost Luna Ghost versus, like, Snow Ghost or uh, even, like, well, I don't think, like, Creeper necessarily, but maybe, like, Harry the Hypnotist, right? Like, (laughs) it's the whole thing about, like, the matches and the fire breathing where I'm like, this is aggressive. But they need to establish threat. Yeah. I mean, and I think he he wasn't a scary ghost because especially in the 2002 era costume they gave him it looks <laughs> it looked so physical compared way, to anything like, we see later okay but like if we're gonna compare him to like classics like harry the hypnotist the mummy 
you know, Charlie the okay, Automaton. So, so putting him in a 1969 animated context. Yes. That's which is what they were that that's what their goal was, right? That movie opens up being like it is simultaneously trying to say, "Hey, Scooby Doo," and like, "This ain't your granddaddy, Scooby Doo." But this is Scooby Doo. But not like you know, you know what I'm saying? Like that's <laughs> the push and pull I feel in that intro. You guys, okay? You both have the DVD, right? Yeah. You've all you've seen I have the... <laughs> <laughs> and no healthcare. <laughs> God, all right. <laughs> if, um, can you guys just leave the healthcare jokes at home? But um, I guess because you don't have it. <laughs> well, we don't have the good one, supposedly. I still don't quite know how it all works. I just don't go to doctors because I don't trust them. I'm not that crazy though. I'm not like anti-vaxxer. <laughs> I realize that. Okay, let's just keep on moving, guys. My country is fucked. <laughs> <laughs> Well, hey, you can move here, and then you can actually watch Be Cool Scooby-Doo on Netflix. I know, right? Why yeah, like the other here? reason it's fucked. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's number one is healthcare. Number two... I'm telling you, we're not... Cool Scooby-Doo. We're not... We're gonna get... We're gonna get Scooby-Doo. We're gonna get Be Cool Scooby-Doo. It's all gonna be on Netflix, and they're gonna pay for it. It's gonna be amazing. Don't worry about it. <laughs> if only that was the platform he ran on. All right, so you've you've all seen the the alternate opening, right? The animated opening. Oh, oh. my god, this is insane! No, no, I don't think I have. Billy, I don't think I've ever talked to special features <laughs> yet. There's how Look, long have you I had have the DVD? Probably like four years until I'm hitting the live action movie in my podcast. So, all right, well, I'll send you guys a YouTube link. <laughs> Anyways, okay, so originally they wanted to, well, not they wanted to, they animated an opening sequence, an opening title sequence for the film. So it's the old style Scooby-Doo characters running around a cemetery or a forest, and they're playing the Scooby-Dooby-Doo song, and all the credits run, and then they encounter the Luna Ghost, and the Luna Ghost, I believe, snatches Daphne and goes flying off to the Wow Wow Toy Factory. Animated animated in sort of classic Hanna-Barbera style. And, and then, then it transfers once they get there. And then it transitions when the Luna Ghost comes crashing through the window. Interesting. And they they animated it. They were all set to do it. And then someone made the decision at the last minute. It might be kind of confusing to be having both the animated and the live-action versions, and they wanted to just sort of cement the live-action nature of the film by taking that animated sequence out. But it was already done, and they liked it, so they put it as a bonus feature on the DVD. So Hmm. a lot of people have seen it. I kind of agree with them, but I also kind of wish they would have had that transition from, you know, the the handing of the torch. Yeah. Like, did they they speak in the animated version? No. Okay, yeah, because I was going to say it. Like, I can see it being confusing if they had, like, for example, had Frank Welker as Fred and then gone to Freddie <laughs> Prince Jr. <laughs> Freddie Prince Jr.? <laughs> but to my mind, like, even if they had done, like, the animated version and had, like, Freddie Prince Jr. talking there, that would have been an easier transition for me. Yeah, well, I agree. gang, it's so good to see y'all here. All right, let's get... <laughs> Actually, I think Frank Welker does have a voice in the film. He oh, plays sure he the does. creatures. And he plays the, I think he does the voice for the, the guy with the, the Dayglow skeleton headdress. Yeah, Velma I'm asks. pretty sure that Frank Welker is in You've Got Mail as well. Like, we can move <laughs> on. He's in every movie ever. I'd be really happy. Yeah, I know. He Usually as an animal of some kind. But, like, 
No, it's true. Really it's true. Happy he's the, that's he's true the monkey voice. in Jungle to Jungle starring Tim Allen. If you hear an animal in film, it's more like yep. a Frank Welker than an actual animal. 100% true. I love watching it like album? a cartoon and just seeing Frank Welker's name pop up. Do, have you guys listened to his album, Almost Sold Out? He has what? an album? Yeah, he has, he has one stand-up album. Oh, it's a stand-up album? I thought it was going to be oh, like yeah. soft jazz or something. <laughs> No, no, it's great. Like, I mean, it's, it's good all enough for Billy D, but it's a lot of fun. <laughs> oh, that makes sense. Yeah, I, I kind of thought while I was watching this, like my biggest note was like no Frank Welker cameo. So, <laughs> so that makes me happy to hear he voiced like maybe one of the background characters. I really thought he should have been like Old Man Jenkins, who was in the Luna Ghost costume. I think he should have been Scooby Doo. <gasps> that too, because wasn't agree. he voicing Scooby Doo at the time? No, he wasn't. Oh, okay, but still, like he, oh, he, wait, no, he is now. He was. He was doing Scooby nope. on uh, What's New Scooby Doo. Didn't that come after this? That was 2002, 2003. Yeah, and this is 2001. No, no, this is right? 2002. Well, released really? in 2002. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, Scott Innes but was filming doing... in 2001. <laughs> <laughs> Point of order, sir! Okay. Point of order, they weren't filming Scooby Doo in the movie either. They probably had a tennis ball on a stick. <laughs> Okay, without looking it up, I, I, I'm just going to go with my memory, which is completely fallible and notoriously horrible. The one other thing the guy who played Scooby-Doo was famous for, in my memory, is the Police Academy stunt show at <laughs> the Warner Brothers theme park in Australia. Well, that I, I totally buy that because he was an Australian actor. Dude, I'm knocking it out of the park. He, yeah. well, I mean, he he stumbled into the role because originally somebody who was involved with the production he recommended this guy because he was a huge Scooby Doo fan, and he recommended him to the production. So he came in, and I believe he voiced Scooby on the set, so the actors had the timing and the, and the voice to react oh, to. Oh, okay. And then it turned out where they were like, oh, well, you know what? He does good enough doing the voice, so let's just have him do the voice. Well, okay, I, you know what? I mind that a lot less then, because if he went to the trouble of, like, being on set every day, I mean, that just seems polite to give him the role at that point. <laughs> nah, he's terrible. I'm gonna, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna give any props to this guy. I think he tried. So, yeah, what um, did you guys think of the Scooby voice? I thought it was very hit or miss. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't mind it particularly. I don't think I went in with big expectations for that Scooby voice. But it wasn't, honestly, the performance... It wasn't the performance that offended me the most in it. Like, I think there was more off-brand <laughs> moments in the Scooby gang itself. There's levels of offending performances for you. Okay, there are. Can, can we stick to Scooby for, like, half a second? Can I say, or can I ask, can I pose the question? What is your best Scooby-Doo voice, in your in you guys' opinion? Like, who does it best? Don Messick. I mean, you do a pretty good one, but... I feel like I like I, I feel like I like Don Messick because he created it, but I don't think he does it best. I feel like Frank Welker does it better. I Frank think... Welker has such a has a wealth of experience. Oh, I, he, he just made it longer, so he's able to. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> I think Frank Welker's Scooby. I mean, I love. He's probably my second favorite Scooby, but I think his Scooby's a little too articulate. Whereas Don Messick's Scooby, it sounded like mm. a dog trying to talk. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I can get behind that for sure. Yeah, I, I think I'm, well, I might depending on the series. The original. Yes. I have to start with Messick. And I yeah. do think all right. 
I do think as the, the franchise went on, you know, once you get to, you know, where Billy and Amelia are right now with like the puppy <laughs> hour and like, I'm not a big fan of any of the voice actors doing any of the voices at that time. For some reason, oh. it, they just feel very strange to me. They don't feel like Shaggy and Scooby and Scrappy. They actually feel weirdly like they genuinely are actors like in Scooby Goes to Hollywood and that this yeah. is just like their day job or whatever. I don't blame them for not giving it their all in this time period, though. Oh, I agree. Um. Yeah, like, if you look at the writing, Nobody you can else tell was. they're just like... <laughs> you know what's weird? We just hit uh, the puppy hour, and so it, they have those, like, Yabba and Scrappy episodes, where they brought back Frank Welker to play a character in that, mm. but not in Scooby-Doo proper. Mm. And uh, uh, you guys are about to make it to the point where Daphne comes back, right? Soon. Mm, not... not good. Don't I'm I'm looking forward to my girl coming back. <laughs> let me let me just have some hope right now. Good luck. Uh so 2002 Stephen Grimes. <laughs> <laughs> the breakout star of Scooby Doo. I okay, if you watch that movie without being a fan of Scooby Doo, who's the best person in that movie? Just throw it out. Well, Rowan Atkinson. Okay, dumb yeah. question. Sorry. Out of out of the cast of the gang, I think Lillard. Yeah, I agree easily. And you can tell too, really? like he's still not completely comfortable. I think in Shaggy's shoes, you can still tell that he's sort of affecting Shaggy. Whereas and I think of, of when you all see the cast. Sorry, I'm gonna keep stepping on it. You you finish first. <laughs> I but, was just gonna say when <laughs> there's a. <laughs> When you see Scooby-Doo 2, I think Lillard is very much more comfortable in the Shaggy. And then by the time he re-embraces it and starts doing it as a voiceover, he owns it. Mm -hmm. Good Lord, does he do a great job. For me, what I get most in this movie is that he has an affection for Shaggy as a character. Yes. Um, I think the other character, or the other actors are more putting their own spin on it. But Matthew Lillard is earnestly trying to be Shaggy. Can I posit something to you guys right now? Yeah. Let me let me let me let me throw this out. He does do that in this movie, but the writing doesn't do Shaggy. You know what I'm saying? Like it does like let's bring it up. Dax Shepard says in an interview is like, "Oh, that Stoner character, right?" Like I feel like the writing in this movie does try and pull off the uh Jane Silent Bob Strike Back persona of or the the the, the zeitgeist of who mm -hmm. shaggy is that stoner character and i feel like he actually fights that writing and actually yeah. brings a really good shaggy to the table when the writing could have been like oh man these eggplant burgers there's only really two stoner sort of moments there's when they're in the van and you see the smoke coming out sure. of it but then they subvert that joke by having it being a little barbecue uh. And also, a little note, he's having an eggplant burger. Because Shaggy because is a vegetarian. Casey a vegetarian. Casey Kasem's yeah. a vegetarian. Man, and, the fact uh, that he wouldn't come back time... for zombie because they ate crayfish. Well, no, he didn't come back. Well, he quit because of a Burger King ad. Oh, really? Yeah. They wanted him to do a Burger King ad, and he was As like, nah, Shag I'm a vegetarian, I don't feel good selling burgers. Well, Scooby and Shaggy pull up in a Burger King drive-thru, ah. and they're like, hey man, let's get some burgers, Scoob, and... Interesting. Casey was like, I don't want to do that. And then when Zombie Island rolled around, like he'd already sort of retired and they offered it to him. I'm going to not plug my interview with Lance Falk. Here. <laughs> <laughs> I, had to. 
but yeah, they offered it to him and, and he said no. And they were like, well, we're not going to be beholden to the guy who's been doing the voice for 30 years. God, Billy West did such a good job in that, though. We're not here to talk about that anyways, movie. <laughs> just getting back on track. Uh, and the second time was when Isla Fisher comes in and says her name is Mary Jane. And he's like, like, that's my favorite name. Uh, yeah. Which is obviously a marijuana yeah. joke, but that's it. I would argue and they're very innocent. at the end of the movie when that like uh, dust gets blown into his face and he's like, mm, that's good. That's oh, a bit yeah. of a stoner joke as well about like hallucinogenic drugs. Fair enough. Okay. God, you're a narc. Okay, I'll buy that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like they could have totally pushed it in that direction. And I think, I mean, I've heard a lot of things. I guess we're going to roll into sort of the early James Gunn version of, of the film. They were pushing, there was going to be a Velma Daphne romance. Yep. Shaggy was going to be much more of a stoner. Like they were going to go all in with like, like the body humor. Like going to be an adult movie, like, or at least like a teenager movie. They were going to go for PG-13, I believe, because Josie and the Pussycats pushed that sort of envelope a little bit. Um, Just by having Alan movie. Cummings. So weird. Brilliant movie. Backdoor lover? Like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> a Scottish person in it? So weird. But uh, it failed. It failed at the box office, and I think Warner Brothers was like, ooh, I don't maybe think we should do that if we want to make money back. So they pulled it back. They cleaned it up. And I do find it interesting. If you actually read the article where he says it used to have an R rating. Sure. He says he says what it had an R rating for, but he never says that it was like this, you know, crazy violent sex show or something <laughs> like everyone's sort of selling it on the Internet. He's like, yeah, there was, you know, they CG'd out some some cleavage, which they, they CG'd uh, Lindsay Lohan's breast size down for Herbie because they thought it was a little too sexualized. That's just something studios were doing at that time if they were trying to keep the rating down. I mean, it's bizarre. Yeah, uh, you wouldn't really do that it. nowadays, hey, I don't think. Hey, guys, uh, we're making this movie. We have to have smaller tits. <laughs> like, that is the weirdest thing I've ever heard in my life. And somebody responded to James Gunn. I'm just, I'm hitting the internet here to look at his, uh, look at his comment. He said it was simply some lines of dialogue that the MPAA thought referred to oral sex. Mm. So it's not like the movie was probably incredibly different mm. or totally off the wall. It was probably just buying into sort of the fan theories that have been going on for a while. They were topical. They were funny. And the, the characters probably just did some stuff that was a little racy. Yeah. Are there jokes in this movie that are objectively bad that you find funny? Um. Oh, that I find funny. Yeah. That, that you That you it. can chuckle at. As a person. Oh, you know you know what joke I actually really did like? It's the only quote I wrote down in my notes. Now that okay. we're all together, let's split up and look for clues. <laughs> <laughs> that is nice. Yeah. I, I think the Melvin Dew thing is funny. Yes. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, we need to bring him hilarious. back into the canon. <laughs> I'm actually, I'm thinking about taking on the persona of Dead Mike. <laughs> I don't mind the, uh, uh, dude, like, why am I wearing a dress? That was I fun, because that, that was, like, a showcase for the actors to, like, act like each other. I, I Honestly, yeah. I like when shows and movies do that. It always gets a chuckle out of me. Well, and Linda Cardellini does a great job in this movie. Yeah, she's probably, of the main gang, she's my second favorite. Where do you, where do you rank her in the Velma canon? Um, above Frumpkin. Give us your Velma canon. Oh, I need to just 
I haven't listened to all... Remember, I've only hit the Scrappy Age in my official watch-through. I like what Mindy Cohn brings to it. I think that... I don't think Mindy Cohn would have suited Be Cool. Sure. I think Kate Micucci suits Be Cool. I'm not sure Kate suits the the regular Velma. Mm-hmm. It's, it's odd so when, when she see, gets brought into those. Like when you watch Shaggy's Showdown and Kate's doing the voice of Velma, it's a little off. I have not watched that one yet. Um, Holy shit. I would throw Mindy as my top, honestly, because I think she brings more to the character than like BJ Ward or... Uh, oh, man. Is it Heather North? Yeah, or is it... Uh, no, Heather Jaff. North was, was Daphne again. Nicole Jaff. Nicole Jaff. Yes, Nicole Jaffe. Jaffe. All right. Yeah, All right. I'm so for it. yeah, we yeah the two the, like in the classic era of Scooby Doo, we had Nicole Jaffe, Patricia Stevens, and Marla Frumpkin. Velma in general is a hard character though. Like mm-hmm. I feel like because you need to make it personable but forceful. I feel like when when Velma really kills it, which I feel like Linda Cardellini does, like is that kind of like uh I just. This isn't because I'm a dick. I don't think Cardellini... I mean, I love Linda Cardellini and I like her Velma, but I don't think she had as much time with Velma as, you know, like Mindy or Kate... So I think Mindy and Kate are able to bring that sort of genius quality, that know-it-all quality, a little superior, but also kind of vulnerable. Whereas I feel like Cardellini is a bit of a caricature of Velma. Well, then, you you know what I'm going to say? I like Linda as Velma. I love her as Marcy. Hot oh, dog yes. water. Yeah, when they brought yeah. her in as hot dog water, her name like, is oh my god. She's like... <laughs> hot dog water. <laughs> that's, that's the rude thing that people call her. I love the explanation when the, her scientist dad is just kind of like, oh, I just thought that, you know, recycling water was a good thing. <laughs> I thought conservation rocked. <laughs> I'm sorry that you smell like a, like a hot dog in school, honey. There's a lot of shipping with uh, Marcy <laughs> and Velma, too. <laughs> including in the show i think people yeah i think i'm pretty sure that's canon <laughs> to mystery incorporated so uh yeah but like <laughs> it's been a while since that's I've seen also it, but... a thing in uh, uh james gunn's original version right like uh the velma gay thing right mm-hmm. so yeah. well if velma and daphne there was going to be at least a that's hint to interesting because like i i've run across the the gay velma thing for however long i've been on the internet yeah. and i've always been like oh that's like that's a fun thing to do like oh yeah okay you go back and watch you know whatever night for a night or any of those episodes and you're like oh if i look at it through the that lens of her being a queer character it's interesting but this movie i don't know it felt like they tried to move away from that even though james gunn wanted that originally well she has a love interest who's like in two scenes where he might have lines he might not but who is also the worst person ever yeah like that guy sucks the live action movie that guy sucks oh okay (laughs) you mean the actor no the character no he doesn't no that's what i'm saying like he might have lines he might not he's just there can i really just quickly say i don't know who he is as a person and i don't (laughs) want to shit on him but as a character character he's a fan of all three of our podcasts (laughs) so that is (laughs) he's just been waiting for us all to cover it the love interest for velma he looks a little bit like chris cornell oh he does that's what he looks like (laughs) The facial hair. Yeah, but he basically just walks in. He's like, says hi, and then he sits down at the table while uh, while Velma's getting drunk. While while Stephen is playing the piano, and he asks her, you know, he's 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 like Dennis Miller. He's the 
<laughs> androgynous exposition guy. <laughs> that was Dennis Miller's description of his character in the net, who shows up to like get information out of characters and then disappears. Also, I'm so sorry, Mike. Nobody remembers the net. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Sandra Bullock at that comment was like, "What movie?" <laughs> Just to jump back briefly, Thank God. since we're also talking about the James, since we're also talking about the James Gunn script again, mm. the the note that I was looking for, it's a comment from James Gunn himself on the thread from where he posted, where someone was like, "I'd love to see that R-rated screenplay." Ton of cleavage would have pushed it into more of a Scooby-Doo out of parody, and James Gunn's like. He's like, I don't know where you're getting the idea there was a ton of cleavage. It was a handful of shots. Also, like, he wants to see the, the cleavage in the script? Like... So, full CGI Scooby. I hate it. Good idea or bad idea? I hate it. Um, full CGI is probably a bit much. But on the other hand... To be, to be fair, there's one shot of Scooby that's not CGI, and that's his tail sticking out of the barrel. <laughs> <laughs> they created one animatronic? God... Actually, no. There was an animatronic Scooby on set, but with the exception of that one they shot sticking out it. of the barrel. Every time they looked yeah. at it, they were like, nope, nope. <laughs> like, when they were buried in toys, and Sarah Michelle Gellar comes up and her face is right in Scooby's ass, mm. she actually came up, there was an animatronic <laughs> Scooby there. There's so many questions I have, but let's stick with this, like, <laughs> animatronic thing. So, uh, I believe... <laughs> Oh my god! It was like months ago. There, it, it was during the. It was like when like Riverdale first started. Uh, Mike, you posted a thing being like, "All right, well, Riverdale happens. What happens with live action Scooby Doo?" And I kept yeah. trying to think of solutions for Scooby Doo the character. Like, mm -hmm. do you have a real dog with an animated mouth? Do you have, like, a completely CGI dog? Do you just, like, like how do you do it? And it has to be so broad, right? Like, you can't have a real thing. They actually considered doing the animated mouth on a real dog for the film. Ugh, and they were like, no. In retro, like, I'm trying to think of what you could do. I mean, other than, like, just having, like, a 2D animated Scooby in the movie, which I don't <laughs> think is going to fly in 2002. Maybe in a 1981 live-action movie. But these are unsettling, right? Like the 2002, the uh, all the all this uh, era of Scooby Doo, like these live action movies, it's unsettling. Yeah, it's it's in the just not advanced enough stage. It's an uncanny Scooby. <laughs> I didn't think that one was gonna hit. Uncanny. <laughs> uh, but like, uh, the unScooby Valley. That one works a little better. <laughs> Marginally. If it, yeah, was a if it was Shaggy, it would have worked in the Unshaggy Valley. That Guys, I have a serious thought... topic to talk about. I thought my Shaggenfreude joke on Twitter Shaggenfreude was Shaggenfreude made me laugh hard. <laughs> that was so good. It doesn't even also... matter that it took you months to come up with it. it. That was the thing. It also pissed me off because I was like, how did I not think of that? That was a great... Anyways, Nick has a very important point to bring up. Yeah, we're talking about... Uh... <laughs> what? Well, uh, it really is like... Because these movies, Scooby feels like the weakest link, right? Yeah. Although Scooby does have some really good moments. Like, honestly, I think when he eats Shaggy's sandwich on the plane, mm. like, Scooby's got his yeah. own thing going on, and he's, like, looking over and puts the newspaper up, even though I hate him in that whole dress thing playing Grandma. And then, Okay, um... but can, can I ask you this, Mike? If you read that in a script versus watching it in this movie, is there a difference? 
Like, are you... The script probably would have sounded way better. Yeah, right. Like, you're you're married to the concept. Visually, it's not compelling at all. No. But it is in reference to all the times that Shaggy and Scooby dressed up in costumes in the series. I find this movie right. does do a good job of, like, like picking out those little homages. Like, when yes. everybody stands still as statues, and that's how they hide from the villain. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There is a moment, though, where they're clearly referencing the show, where Scooby stops and he, like, brushes the the demon, his nails, and then he, like, chews them. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it was a callback, but I think it fell very, very flat because it was sort of copying what they'd seen, but not sort of the meaning behind it. Yeah, plus I think mm -hmm. the stakes that, that... for Scooby in the scene, like, that, when it's an actually terrifying monster coming at them rather than, you know... A wax phantom. Like Scooby Scooby and Shaggy interrupting the flow of the narrative to dress up as like dentists or manicurists or, you know, whatever like, it would come be right and sitting this the creature way, down. Man. Like uh it's so nice that we're gonna take a look at this mouth. But you know what? I think that probably says more about audiences in 2002, because with all the superhero stuff, I think people are more willing to accept a little bit more weirdness. Mm -hmm a little bit more absurdism in their stuff. So I think you could probably do that in a live action show now, yeah. as opposed to then, whereas back then people would be like, it doesn't make sense. Real people couldn't do that. Well, I would argue the audience isn't even against that. It was the studio who was against that. Sure. Sure. Um, but I think that's something that would be really cool. Um, I think they could probably pull off a CG Scooby for a TV series. In, like, you also in 2017, they can. Mm. Yes. Yeah. I think they could probably do it. I think they would probably go a little more real dog with yeah. it and just push the real dog to that sort of point of your suspension of disbelief Maybe. rather than like the Scooby in the movie. He had very human sort of eyes mm -hmm. and, and facial reactions, which is kind of true to the animation model of Scooby, but it was a little too elastic. I think. Well, I think. Oh, speaking of elastic, when they try to pull the faces of the monsters, uh... <laughs> And it's it's not like actually the skin oh. pulling; it's the image stretching. Uh, <laughs> uh, that was bad. Uh, you know what else really bothered me about an unmasking is when they go to unmask Rowan Atkinson, and it goes into that like slow motion shot because it doesn't look like it was intentionally slow motion. It looked like oh shit, we didn't get coverage for this. <laughs> There's a few moments like that, like when the luchador comes behind yeah, Daphne like, when she's right up on after the roof. that. And there's other little places where I think, I mean, bear in mind, I think this movie is like 86 minutes long or something. Mm -hmm. Like it's not quite 90 minutes. I think they were maybe padding it a little Are bit for timing. Are you It's 40. It's 14 minutes longer than most of the direct-to-video movies. Wow. Yeah. It felt an hour longer. <laughs> I watched so many yeah. direct-to-video Scooby-Doo movies, and, like, where's my mummy? No problem. Like, I, I watched it through. Even Pirates Ahoy. Like, I was like, ah, all right, this is kind of a, a slog. This movie felt so much longer. Nick, you asked earlier if there was a joke that wasn't actually funny, but that I thought was hilarious. That training video where he's like, oh. sorry, bro, and then he's like, no worries, and I, I love that. I laugh my ass off that, every time I see it. Yeah, uh, that was a good one. I like how you didn't even say the funny part. You just said, no worries. <laughs> I don't remember the funny part. He's like, no, no, it, no it need for like, I'll devour your soul. Or something like that. Well, he like, starts by saying, I'll crush the your soul like ashes of bones or something. Whoa, that's not cool, bro. 
let's try it this way. Also, fascinatingly enough, I did work for Banana Republic for about like four months, and those were the actual training videos we watched. (laughs) (laughs) Verbatim. I mean, it's really weird that they just reused them for this movie. Do you feel the film was too juvenile? (laughs) Yeah. Do you think? Yeah, I do. Do you think it was dumbed down a little bit, and do you think maybe it should have been longer? Can I can I ask you uh, what, in your opinion? brought down scrappy in the end in the film yes like like in the plot of the film like diegetically what brought <laughs> scrappy down oh my god i just realized that shaggy being master of the claw in the amusement park is why shaggy is operating the claw oh my god at the end of the movie and pulls the thing off scrappy's chest You've been a very bad puppy! <laughs> that was set I, up. I never put that together e- either. It was, there was, was thought put into this film. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was going to... It, it, were you were you bringing that out of us, Nick? Was that your plan? That was my loaded question, yes. Okay. You know what? That shot in particular is really weird, because you see the claw coming at him. The way it's shot, it really makes it seem like Shaggy's going straight for Scrappy's eye. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Like I agree. I thought he was too. Yeah. I also, I, I also feel like in a movie that doesn't warrant it, there is like so much like, uh, uh, like bordering on like David Lynch levels of like, oh, that seems significant. It's like the claw also looks like the Damon Ritus. Like, why are those two symmetrical? Is there something about, like, you know, I feel like there are these levels of, like, man, just design it like that. Okay, cool. Does it mean anything? And I think it will. Yeah, if anything, I think this movie could have used more of an emphasis on mystery. I agree. Because that's, you know, that's what I've been saying about, like, every Scrappy episode I've had to watch for a few months in that it abandons the mystery format, and that's, like, the core tenant of Scooby-Doo. Hey, by the way, Billy, um, are you okay? (laughs) I thought I would be watching this! (laughs) I think the whole point, right, like, they were focusing on the character dynamic, whereas... Uh, uh, trying to, sure. Whereas, well, it it was all about, you know, bringing the gang back together. It was... It was a re-origin story, right? It was bringing the band back together. Because when you watch Scooby-Doo 2, they look more like they're supposed to. They act more like they're supposed to. Whereas this one is, they're adrift. Yeah, but, like, it's not, uh, it's not compelling. I mean, like, it's as compelling as uh, 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 Labyrinth and, like, it's just just unfair. Like, they're caricatures. They're, they're... At best, their characters. Well, I agree. And, I agree. And Scooby Doo, at heart, is usually more plot heavy than character heavy. Definitely. Whereas I yep. feel, I feel this went the other way, which is why I and was I asking: mean, should the plot have maybe been more complicated? Which Billy said he mm-hmm. wished it stuck closer to mystery. Yeah, because even if you look at it as a character-focused film, Fred and Daphne are unrecognizable from any of the animated series. I just yes. don't see the same characters in those portrayals. Daph- Daphne is Buffy the Vampire Slayer with a little more money, and Fred Fred just seems like Freddie Prince Jr. That's a an really outfit. bad wig in the first scene. 
But... Was anybody else bothered by the line where Daphne says, everyone's going to think that I thought of it after our, or that I'm copying the smart girl? Her little pouty thing at the beginning at the Wow Wow Toy Factory when Velma quits uh, first? Yeah, right. That yes. actually rankled me a little bit. That whole scene pissed me off, actually. Because oh, yeah, women always have to be infighting in film, right? But Daphne, like, even when Daphne is not necessarily the most exemplary, you know, female figure in cinema or, or <laughs> a role model, you know, she's never denigrating herself. No. She's, she's never putting herself down. She never identifies herself as dumber, weaker. That was something that I think Gunn brought to it, where he was, you know, pushing that, bringing that out of the character. And She's not insecure. She's That's not. Like never her thing. She, she is, like... Daphne is Veronica and Velma is Betty. Like, Velma should have security issues. I don't know what you're talking about. There are a few comics that have been written since the 1950s called Archie. Nope, <laughs> not ringing a bell. Isn't, oh. it, isn't it the 1940s? Likely. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not on Archie do's or Archie don'ts right now. <laughs> so I didn't do the research for that. <laughs> nice. So Speaking Archie, of Archie, connecting. Betty, Veronica, Velma, Daphne. Isla Fisher. Let's just talk about her. Also, I pronounce it weird. <laughs> you you pronounce it like she's an island in the Jurassic Park universe. Does the guy say Isla? Welcome to Jurassic Park Isla. <laughs> no, well, like, no, it's not <laughs> like when you're like, now, welcome to Isla Nubar. <laughs> Isla. <laughs> I thought it was Isla for a long time, too, and it's Isla. Weird. Weird. Why is... Well, her and, like, the rest of the extras from, uh, uh, you know, like, Euro Trip and Road Trip, like, that whole island of people. Yeah, the island that of bros. the worst. Like, the casting call for that, I just feel bad for those people because I'm like, I, I just feel like they're like, I got cast in something awesome, and then they went to that movie and they were like, oh, no. I choose to believe somewhere on an island, they're still trapped there, still believing that it's 2002. Can I just read some of my random notes? <laughs> like a like an open mic? <laughs> yeah, I got some. I got some. I'm fun not enjoying ones. this conversation. Can I just redirect it? <laughs> yeah, is that is that cool? Is that cool? Talk about me right now, Nick. Are I you got okay? Some fun ones. Are you okay, Nick? Uh, <laughs> Never. Uh, the extra from a Sum 41 video is thrown by a square. Uh, I've got uh, Melvin do running gag, period. Love it. I actually I liked that first scene where they introduce the incoming people to the outgoing people. And that that girl picks the dude up. It's so much fun. I actually think uh, that's a pretty funny gag. Also, let's bring this up. The sets in this movie, all the set pieces in this, I think, are really well done. Well, Bill Bowes, man. Bro. <laughs> you, have, you have no idea who Bill Bowes is, right? <laughs> I don't. I know Ken Adams, and that's about where I check out. <laughs> but what else did he do? He did, uh, he was art department for Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh, uh, nice. Art department for Sleepy Hollow. Okay, can we move on to the non-Tim Burton movies that he did? Scooby-Doo. <laughs> <laughs> He's done better work uh, as an Has art he director. He's done good work in bad movies. He's been, <laughs> he was an art director for a series of unfortunate events. He was uh, oh, interesting. Okay, he was that a production designer on Coraline. 
He was on Monkey Bone. He was on Fantastic Four, Scooby-Doo. Yeah, his his movie production credits aren't amazing, but sure. mostly it's his, his art direction. That's what he's kind of... That's what I knew him for. That makes sense. Well, I it's would a say, very stylized movie, too. Oh, definitely, yeah. But for 2002, like, in a, in a post-Edward uh, uh, Scissorhands world, uh, I feel like The Haunted House... And the island in general, uh, the the guy's house. Uh, who's the random voodoo guy they run into? I can't remember who he is. He apparently has more scenes that got cut out, but like the voodoo oh, guy, yeah. I feel like his house is great. I feel like that haunted house is great. There are set pieces in this where I look at them and I'm just like, that's cool. And then I see the 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 uh, food coming to life. Oh, thing yeah. and I'm wondering why that happens at all in a haunted house where people are on a track. <laughs> it just feels it feels really hack, but whatever. Like it's fine. While we're talking about the aesthetics of this movie, sure. I just want to point out the one thing that got me way too excited when I know it shouldn't have, and that's when they're all at the airport, Shaggy has a fur-lined coat. Yes. And every time he wears winter wear in the animated series, he has, like, a fur-lined collar. It felt a, very uh, Led Zeppelin-y, right? Yeah. It was just, like, a tiny little thing where I'm like, oh, true to the cartoon. Okay. <laughs> I think most of the characters, like, even Fred, I think, looked good. For some reason, changing Daphne's outfit... Yeah, she's, she's got, wearing go-go boots. She's got purple, but that doesn't just... De facto mean Daphne, like, per se. I feel like I've seen that outfit in a series, and I can't remember which. What's new Scooby-Doo? Oh, does she? Okay. At the same time. All right. Oh. It's a very okay. similar outfit. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Everything Not sort of fell in line. for live action, unfortunately. Because the Scooby-Doo movie and the What's New Scooby-Doo happened, and then the direct-to-video movies were following the What's New Scooby-Doo sort of design like the, they were the what's new scooby-doo characters yeah that was the uh timeline i guess until Makes sense. until mystery incorporated really Ooh. well i would say we're getting weird the in, samurai uh... the samurai sword is the last what's new scooby-doo direct-to-video movie but yeah i think i think okay. they were trying i think they were trying to do the whole synergy thing with bringing all the scooby-doo stuff in line although mm -hmm. to be fair daphne's costume in Scooby-Doo 2, I think, is superior to what she's wearing in Scooby-Doo. Do you guys have a favorite Daphne costume? Aside from the OG, with the scarf and the full tights and shit? I like her Be Cool outfit. Mm. I like her purple dress with the chucks. Yeah. I I, I don't mind the uh, April April O'Neil look in... Uh, uh, she started wearing that in 13 Ghosts, Yeah. right? Yeah. She has, like, the loose, uh, full jumpsuit. I feel like if I were to choose an alternate look, it would, it would, I really like the gang's winter wear. So, wait, like, she has that little fur cap that she wears whenever they're in the snow. So I would probably go with, like, the classic Daphne in the snow. I think it's it's a very what you would wear in the snow in the 60s kind of look, like something you'd see in the Pink Panther. Mm. And I think that's because, like, Daphne is the most rooted in the 60s in her style. In this movie? No, just in general. Even in the, even in this, yeah, I meant in general, but in this movie, like the live action one, like the go-go boots, yeah. 
yeah, they kind definitely. of went for a retro 60s aesthetic. You guys have all seen that image where somebody did, like, the gang through the ages? Oh, yeah. yeah the, I, the gif where it, like, goes through all of them. I love the Daphne with that Mondrian dress. <laughs> she looks pretty smoking in that. Sure. Although, I just posted on the uh, Facebook page the artist Noelle Stevenson, who works on Lumberjanes. She yeah, hips, I love her work, right? She's got a print, a uh, couple of prints, actually. and Oh, I have one of those prints on my wall. Oh, is Humble it the, the Velma and Daphne or the gang? I have the Velma and Daphne back-to-back, where Daphne has all the tattoos. Yeah, I love the outfit Daphne's wearing in that print. Yeah. So actually, let me let me reboot my favorite Daphne outfits this one. <laughs> and and her Fred, he's wearing, like, that white vest. Like, he just looks mm-hmm. sharp. Hey, you know my favorite mystery machine is the one in my logo. Anyways. Um... <laughs> I did like that picture. So what were we talking about? <laughs> we were talking about... Our favorite versions of the characters, or our favorite outfits of the characters? I don't know, but I'm looking at an, uh, a note that says Ace of Base produced by Max Martin, and I don't know why that showed up. <laughs> I'm actually always surprised whenever you see somebody do like their version of the gang in a different time period. The whole point of Shaggy is if you put Shaggy in any time period, he looks like he fits. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody always tries to like design him to be a little grunge or a little hipster or a little and it's like no shaggy is just shaggy he's got mm-hmm. brown jeans green saggy <laughs> shirt that's timeless yeah. but Choose. to a certain extent like shaggy and scooby are the the characters who move most fluidly throughout the entire franchise right well they're also the characters Am I wrong about that? Yeah. they're also the characters that the studio focuses on like they almost don't even care what you do with the other three mm-hmm as long as you've got Scooby and Shaggy and there's food jokes. Yeah. But there there's all but they feel characteristic. Like it doesn't feel like um like in in uh like the new Scooby Doo movies, right? The Harlem Globetrotters don't feel like a real thing, right? Like 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 uh you don't look you don't look at that and you're like, God, I remember them Harlem Globetrotters. You just reminded me of another gag from the movie when Fred tells Scooby Perfect. That he hasn't embarrassed them this much since he co- he cleaned his beans at Don Knotts' Christmas party. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I did like that. I was like, yeah. nice. Call back to Don Knotts, mm-hmm. who's been on several Scooby-Doo movies. Yeah, he, he was in two of the new Scooby-Doo movies. And he's in one of the video games as well. Uh, he also shows up in um, the Bravo Do episode, very briefly. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the mask pulling, right? Yeah, yeah, and they pull out, they're like, Don Knotts, is he the one right before Joe Barbera? Uh, I don't remember, it's been a while. Because I feel like they pull it off, it's like, uh, it's two of the classic villains, it's like Harry the Hypnotist, and then they pull it off and they're like, Don Knotts, Joe Barbera? My favorite gag of all time. How do you feel about Pam Anderson being in the movie? Horrible. Like, yeah, so stunned. Could have gone without it. I thought, like, I had kind of forgotten how this movie opened, so I thought that was going to be like an Austin Powers moment, where it was like, oh, we're actually just filming a movie within a movie, uh, rather than that just being like the new Scooby Doo movie version of how that scene went. I actually would have liked to have seen like that movie, the movie that led to the Luna Ghost, as being the big set piece at the end. But she's also driving the mystery machine, which. To me, uh, well, there's two sides of me in this in this uh, debate where as a movie goer, just watching a movie, I don't give a shit. As a Scooby-Doo fan, no, nobody else drives the mystery machine. 
Is the Mystery Machine Fred's or Shaggy's, though? Oh, I, that I don't care about. I that, ascribe that, to it being Fred's and that it is loaned to Shaggy for a period of years. And then repainted red. Because Shaggy doesn't have a place to live. <laughs> no. In, in my when mind, during Daffy. the years when it's just Scrappy, Shaggy, and Scooby, like, those guys are just hoboing it around, the girls are at, in college, and Fred's in Nom. So... <laughs> Oh, I feel like he has flat feet. Not Fred. Yeah, he's got Fred's flat feet, practically man. perfect in every way, man. No, no, that's the one thing. He has flat feet. That's why uh, he ends up, uh, he goes to college, defers from the uh, draft, and that's why he gets his degree in communications, uh, <laughs> gets gets really good at film stuff, which is why he's filming Coast to Coast with Daphne Blake. Now we're getting into it. Now we're putting yeah. the puzzle pieces together. Like, I don't know why you guys haven't figured this out before. <laughs> why, at certain points, Scrappy actually has supernatural powers, that's because he's Plutonian. Boom! <laughs> so the end of the film. Was the end of the film too complicated? We kind of touched on this a little bit. Too complicated? I liked that it was Scrappy as the villain. Putting the big set piece in. Really, the... I respectfully disagree. <laughs> I actually thought the, the CG on Scrappy was superior to the CG on Scooby. Well, he was smaller for a little <laughs> while. Bigger? <laughs> I, I forgot it got bigger. That makes His all the difference. His head is huge at one point. <laughs> I don't think the CGI is good anywhere in this movie. Sure. <laughs> Especially sure. the opening scene where they're in the barrel and Matthew Lillard's head is clearly just superimposed into the barrel. It's horrible. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. Oh, when my they're doing gosh, the, yes! The skateboarding? Yeah, where do you put it? Where do, okay, let's uh, let let's rank it. Uh, let's say uh, Scooby Doo, two thousand two, Phantom Menace, and, and Fellowship of the Ring. Where are you rating the CGI? I put Scooby Doo at the bottom for CGI quality of those three. Agreed. Really? Really? Yeah. Wow. I, I would put I, I would put Fellowship of the Ring at the bottom. What? Yeah. CGI and that's terrible. Fellowship relies on it less, though. That's true. Yeah, exactly. But it's it's horrible. Like when when uh, uh, Orlando Bloom runs up that goddamn monster's arm and po- and plants an arrow in his head. Oh, that, that cave looks troll. like that's like a horrible video game from <laughs> the early nineties. But they're brief. Yeah. Sure. You don't have a character on screen the whole time being like. You know what? I like where you're going with this. Yeah. And honestly, like, the Jar Jar Binks CG is far superior to Scooby-Doo. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Whatever you think of the character, like, he's there. And, I mean, Ahmed Best seems like the nicest dude ever. <laughs> did you guys take notes during while watching the movie? Yeah, I did. Can I ask, did you guys watch it with uh, uh, captions on? No. No. Okay. Neither did I. How did you spell Damon Ritus? I would have said um, D-A-E-M-O-N, maybe R-I-T-U-S. Really? Because yeah, Damon I'm, being I'm, demon and Ritus being, like, right. I would probably go D-A-E-M-O-N-R-I-G-H-T-U-S. Huh. I just looked at mine, and it says D-A-I-M-A-N. R-Y-D-U-S. <laughs> I'm like the, trying to, I'm trying to so create the new over here. 
Yeah, I don't know why that happened. Oh yes, score. I was right. Are D A E D A E M O N R I T U S. I made I made it a little more righteous. Dude. It's a righteous Damon. <laughs> yes, we got a Billy impression. <laughs> I don't know why I did it as like David Bowie from Labyrinth. Yes. <laughs> I wasn't gonna force it. I was just hoping it was gonna happen. I'm I'm gonna admit I'm trying not to do them and I'm especially trying not to do any Scooby Doo because I know you do that flawlessly <laughs> and, and my impressions are so apart from anything near what it sounds like in the real world. Uh well, but also I uh, I thank you. Uh, I really do have a note that just says. This feels severely B-movie a la trauma film, and that's kind of fun, question mark. I actually, <laughs> like, I don't know. I would have liked to have seen this movie made with, like, 20 or $30 million less. Mm. Well, I mean, like, so I I feel like spiritually, what, what would be an analog for a James Gunn version of this movie would be Venture Brothers, right? In, in what way? Venture Brothers so, is more of, like, a Johnny Quest thing. Exactly. So this feels like it's trying to go for that version of Scooby-Doo, and then, you know, it has to be family-friendly. It becomes neutered. Yeah, oh, I see what you're doing. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I can see that. Especially because, like, if you look at what they were doing with Scooby-Doo before this movie, it was kind of just, like, Cartoon Network messing around with some little shorts. Like, did, have either of you ever seen uh, the Scooby Project? Yeah, yeah, the Blair Witch Project ripoff? That yeah. was amazing. So good. Oh, it's, it's hilarious. Shaggy, but why are you standing very... in the corner? Because I'm scared, man. <laughs> like, I'm so hungry. <laughs> but at the same time, it's very, like, it, it, they were adult-oriented shorts. Mm. Like, they weren't making sure that they, everything was kid-friendly. Well, and uh, also they were, uh, they were, they were gimmick-based. Mm-hmm. And gimmick-based from the perspective <laughs> of... Four thirty-year-olds in uh, uh, Atlanta. Yeah. yeah. Well, they were doing similar things, like what they were doing with like Harvey Birdman or Space Ghost. Yeah. Mm, mm. God, I still I I had that album in my car last week. The Space Ghost Coast to Coast Blue <laughs> album. This movie tried to be faithful to the original, but also kind of ironic and a little hip. And I think those yeah. things sort of worked against each other. There was a tug of war going on. Honestly, yeah. it mostly works for me, except for when they get to, like, gross out humor. When Scrappy pees, it loses me entirely. Yes. Or when he sneezes on Scooby at the end and there's all the snot. Yeah, it's like, I, I'm not into this. The pee mm. was really unnecessary, too. Yeah, yeah, like, he was already annoying enough to kick out of the car, honestly. The other thing that, like, ticks me off about this movie is there's a lot of, like, fake science, which I feel like you can't do after the 90s. Like, you can do that in Scooby-Doo after the 90s. No, like, it's, no, it's no, the no, same no. way that you can do, like, your Star Trek techno babble. You can no, do gamma radiation fake science. They're, they're, they're going into gamma radiation levels of just, like, they're trying to make it sound real. And I just rather it sound completely fake. Oh, okay. okay. So you're saying if you're going to do fake science, acknowledge that it's fake. Yeah, go go broad. And That's I fair. feel like they try and make it sound like, look, we have to keep it grounded. And it's like, no, the science doesn't have to be. That's what the Hulk is. I agree. 
this this was also a case of in Scooby Doo the monsters being real, sure. which is a very contentious point within the Scooby Doo universe, and was still very novel at the time because Witch's Ghost and Zombie Island were the only hmm. other times. Which well, I think Zombie Island, and... if you don't count Thirteen Ghosts, uh, well, all, 13 and also. Ghosts. The, the Richie Scooby Rich and Scooby Doo and Scrappy Two show. Sure, or Reluctant Werewolf, or Ghoul School, or well, I'm, I'm real, going back. Go, for, real I think ghouls the... have been with us for a long time. Mm-hmm. Since the '80s. I feel like you guys just pissed on my whole argument, like Scrappy Doo. <laughs> no, but I also feel like uh, you are completely legitimate in saying that because a lot of people discount that. Like they they say that. Look, Scooby-Doo is non-real villains. And, like, literally, the trailer for Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island, when I watched it on Cartoon Network, was, this time the monsters are real. And it was like, yeah, that's been happening for a while. (laughs) But I would argue Zombie Island did it best out of anything. Sure. God, I love Reluctant Werewolf, though. All right, okay. Here, here's what I'm fascinated by now, uh, Star Wars, which has been going since 1977, first one comes out, right? So, yeah. Scooby-Doo has been go- going since 1969, James Bond has been, uh, film-wise, 1962, Batman, what, like, 1935, Doctor, Doctor Who, 1963. So, like, how, like, Scooby-Doo, it... In all of these names, to me, Scooby-Doo has the least going on, and yet somehow I find it the most compelling. Like, how did it make it to a live-action movie in 2002? Yeah, Scooby-Doo, I I think for a bunch of years, has been very backwards-facing. I think it wasn't until necessarily Mystery Incorporated and Be Cool that it started going, all right, what can we do now that's different? I disagree. I think it's been doing that all along. I just think that people didn't know what to do. Like, like th- th- this movie, they literally say, what do we do now? And they just miss the point of the characters and make it edgy. And, like, they, they miss Fred's dad jokes and, and stuff like that. You know what I'm saying? Bear in mind, uh. the green light for this movie was officially given in October of 2000. Your development process on films, right? It's usually, it takes 99. a while. So, oh, so that's very close in between. So, it's. I, do you think that this movie happened because of Zombie Island's success? Zombie Island happened because Warner Brothers sat down one day and said, "What properties? What IP do we have to exploit?" And they were like, "Scooby Doo." Okay, so they threw Scooby Doo with the guys that were currently working at Hanna Barbera, and they said, "Make a Scooby Doo movie." Hanna Barbera is alive. It makes a lot of money, so they start green lighting other movies, and they probably were like. Didn't somebody want to make a live action version of this? Let's let's see what can happen with that. It's like when Star Wars uh, came out. Yeah. All of a sudden every studio went, what science fiction script do we have lying around? Moonraker. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I totally think this movie exists because Warner Brothers realized that there's more to this franchise. They, they it's not just this dead property and they were mining nostalgia. But there's something so ridiculously malleable about Scooby-Doo versus Transformers or any of the other nostalgia properties that have come out. Like, there's a reason... Like, there has to be some kind of reason why 
like 13 ghosts can exist and we can watch that and we can watch pup named scooby-doo and somehow still accept that they're both scooby-doo right i think it had to do with the fact that it was so initially varied that all of their original series did try to approach it from a different angle and, and uh, i've said it before i think the series it resembles the most is doctor who which has another history of reinventing itself but sticking to kind of this core formula and if you look at the two properties like they're very similar like they both go into a new place every week something weird is going on they figure it out um like doctor who is really oh it's this perfectly normal thing wait it's aliens whereas scooby-doo is oh no there's a monster wait it's just old man mr wickles huh that that scooby-doo formula is pretty bulletproof and there is a certain cultural precedent for when something has been around for a long time the characters also become bulletproof like you can put batman you know in a pink tutu and have him flying in space and people will just go oh that that's the pink tutu batman in space movie or, or comic book so watch and then movie. next week or next month they've got regular batman right like it's just superman can land in russia and and you have superman red sun mm. and nobody goes oh what did you do to superman oh my god you've raped my childhood and I think Scooby-Doo <laughs> is in that position as well, where you can go in different directions, but I think you have to, like Billy said, you have to maintain that, that core, that foundation, which is bulletproof, which is why I think... <laughs> right. Now that you've said that, I do want to see the 2002 <laughs> movie where Ahmed Best overdubs all of Scooby-Doo's dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> and just see what people say. Like, I just want to see that. Just like, ah, <laughs> and just see if people are like this movie oh misa call scooby-doo <laughs> misa moy moy hungry <laughs> oh my gosh that would be interesting can't mess with the voice that much i also just noticed there's a thing on the wiki page that says that initially in the soul swapping scene velma and daphne couldn't seem to get their souls back together so the way they mm -hmm. found to get them together was to kiss, which I think is where uh, where that whole Velma Daphne thing was sort of played out. That's mm. also very like audience pandering as well. Yeah, like ooh, we got some ladies kissing in this movie. Come check this out, eighteen to thirty year old men. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, honestly, there is a lot of pervy elements in this movie. Like Pamela Anderson doesn't show up for no reason. Uh, Linda Cardellini wears a, uh, turtleneck up until a certain point where, oh yeah, she does have boobs. Oh my god. Mm -hmm. The scene where she's sitting at the bar, and the guy puts the drinks down, and he's like, on the house. Nice sweater. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the best line of ADR in that movie. Oh. But I think this, yeah, I agree. It, you know, getting Velma in the, the low-cut shirt is kind of like every time you've got actors in spacesuits, they've got to take their helmets off because you want to see the actor's face. And I guess if you've got an attractive woman, you want to be able to see her accoutrements. But, you know, the, the character reasoning for that was she got possessed, right? Yeah. Right. But, so, I mean, was the, the screenwriters didn't get possessed. They still had their faculties when they wrote that scene. Are you sure about that? Do you have all the facts, Billy? Uh, on demon possession in the real world? I'd like to believe I do. Did you know, I'm on the wiki page here, the album peaked at number 24 on Billboard's 200, and it was 49 on the top R&B hip-hop albums. There are some weird selections on that soundtrack, right? Shag well, I mean, Shaggy like does Scooby-Doo. Okay. And 
Can we can we also name a song aside from Angel that Shaggy did? I couldn't even have named Angel if you had asked me. <laughs> really? No, but I oh, love I the that fact one. that they hired Shaggy to do the soundtrack based on name alone. Yeah. I feel like the soundtrack by and large, like I'm I'm not I'm not pissed about it when I listen to the movie. Like I'm like, ah, the voodoo it's song no zombie is probably the best. Which one? The one's like, you remind me of the babe. What babe? <laughs> Wait, oh, didn't I write that down? There was a, a, a Labyrinth reference, right? Yeah, well, no, I think that song existed much earlier. And I think Labyrinth was kind of riffing on that. David Bowie never heard music. He's from a different planet. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Silly boy. Tricks Aww. are for kids. In conclusion, I guess. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much at the end of my notes here. Did, uh, I mean, this movie did huge business. This movie made three times its budget. It obviously spawned a sequel. It really fed on people's nostalgia and their memories, <laughs> correct or otherwise, of the original show. Do mm. you think, do you think it deserved it? Do you think it warranted it 15 years later? I mean, it's not something that's still really talked about. It wouldn't be talked I'm about ha- if James Gunn didn't really do the Guardians of the Galaxy, probably. I'm happy it got made. I, th- I think it's still enjoyable to watch in places. And I think at the end of the day, it gave us Matthew Lillard as Shaggy. Agreed. Which is the greatest gift the franchise could have received from it. Mm. Mm. I do agree that like just the fact that it got made, it proved that you can actually at least make money on a live action Scooby-Doo. So that doesn't close the door mm. indefinitely on... I'm sure CW's gritty reboot is coming. Oh, I hope so. I would also... I would also say, like, it's a testament to Scooby-Doo that, by and large, this movie, there are such great elements of it, but overall, it's pretty bad, and yet, that doesn't do anything to the franchise. Like, like, uh, uh, G.I. Joe movies are bad, and, like, I don't think, I don't think anybody really gives a shit, but last time I was at Universal, uh, by the way, I was just in, uh, 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 Orlando? Humble Brack. And you can see that I went on Nick's Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> and I went and to get in line to meet the Scooby gang was impossible. Like I literally had to plan to get to find them an hour and a half later because the line had a cutoff. Oh. Simpsons did not think about that. Let it stew. No <laughs> one else is talking. So I just that's it. This is my podcast. Yeah. Now. All right, we're good. Okay. And on that note, that's it from Scooby-Doo. I do feel that I would love to read the actual original script because I think the script is smarter than the movie. Sure. And I think the movie got Mm -hmm. filtered through a lot of other fingers and and minds from that original gun script. That's actually, that's interesting that you say that because now that, like, I I immediately was like, yeah, I do feel that. But then I think of Belko experiment or like, I, I feel like uh, James Gunn can rely on gimmicks a little bit sometimes. And I wonder, I wonder it like what would happen if you gave James Gunn another franchise? Like we saw what he did with Guardians, which is a pre-established franchise. We saw what he did with Scooby-Doo. What would happen if you gave him like uh, Jabberjaw? Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> or Snagglepuss or, you know, something weird. Scott Jabberjaw. I love that show. <laughs> I know. Actually, the more frightening thing of... <laughs> J- just take Jaws and put sound clips of Jabberjaw 
in between. Sharks go into the water. You know what? I'm going to put that idea, Billy, out to the internet. If anybody is listening to this and wants to do that, that would be, be amazing. I'd be so happy if someone did. That would be so amazing. I do think it's interesting. Also, I'm going to put it out to the internet right now. If somebody wants to do a gritty reboot of Goober and the Ghost Catchers, <laughs> I would I would love to see that. That would be the show that would needs a gritty remake. Fast and the Furious crossed over with Speed Buggy. <laughs> All right, so Billy... You we s- only have four more of these. <laughs> Billy, you say you're happy that it was made. Nick, you say... I, I feel like happy it was made. Um, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. It was, uh, it's fun. It's a worthy entry into the canon or the expanded Scooby no, universe. expanded universe. <laughs> no, it's fun. It's not good. It's fun. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. I'll sign That's a good that. way to leave it. All right. Well. <laughs> they have a lot of gear. Bad raving cult members. Uh, Fred has a nickname for everyone. Why? Are these still your notes? Let's get jinky with it. Oh, that was the worst. I have a couple notes here that just say, like, scenes after the beginning are better. (laughs) Not Fred. (laughs) That's not Fred. Fred is totally lame. (laughs) Fred says biatch. Just just out of curiosity, we this is we've brought three Scooby-Doo podcasts together in one place. Mm -hmm. This is landmark. Mm. This is this is the this is the largest group of Scooby Doo podcasters in one place so far. So far being the key word. Words. Yeah. <laughs> there and seem I'm to be the new Scooby Doo podcasts. Exclusively United States one. You are. You're the literally only Scooby Doo podcast that is not in some way Canadian. That's weird. <laughs> Canada loves Scooby Doo. God bless you. I gotta move there. That's what makes you unique, Nick. Unique Nick. Uh, <laughs> CBS on Tuesdays. You can find my new Twitter handle, Unique Nick. <laughs> his his dirty Twitter handle, Unique Nick at night. <laughs> and also you can you can hear a bunch of high school students saying Unique Nick, <laughs> repeating it to get their uh, K sounds well. I think if you don't make a Unique Nick at night podcast, it'll be very disappointing, Nick. <laughs> All right, so that that brings a conclusion to our 15th anniversary discussion on the 2002 live-action Scooby-Doo film, Scooby-Doo. Nick, where can we find you online? Uh, You can find me uh, at www.scooby-doo on Twitter, whatswithyouscooby-doo.com, as well as facebook.com slash whatswithyouscooby-doo. I'm on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, um, wherever you want to listen to get your uh, barely Scooby-Doo fix, that's that's where I'm at. Do you have any events or anything coming up? No. <laughs> <laughs> I and, can't think of anything that far out. <laughs> and Billy, when people aren't listening to me, where can they find you? Um, they can find me. I'm on Twitter at TheBillySeaguire or at Scooby underscore Doos, which is the Scooby-Doos or Scooby-Don'ts dedicated Twitter feed. I am also constantly writing and editing for roguesportal.com, which is an amazing entertainment website. Fantastic. Do you have any kind of events or anything coming up? Anything worth mentioning? Not that I know of. I might be going out for groceries soon, but no one has to follow me there. Um, Really quickly, Billy. Yeah. Are you okay? I've been in a rough place lately. <laughs> this, hey, is, this has really brought me up. If you ever need someone to talk to or like if you if – you, 
Like, I'm here for you, bro. <laughs> Good to know. Just want you to know that. <laughs> hey, um, uh, uh, Mike, what do you have to pimp? Uh, this podcast, this episode. <laughs> uh, let's see. I've got, um, well, I mean, if you're listening to the show, you're, you're on, you're on my feed anyways. So I guess maybe information for your guys. If I, if anybody comes to visit, uh, so yeah, my podcast, uh, podcast named Scooby-Doo general focus of it is interviewing people who worked on different iterations of the franchise. Uh, coming up, I've got Jake Monaco, uh, the guy who did the score for the Be Cool Scooby-Doo episodes, J.M. DiMatteis, who writes the Scooby Apocalypse comic book and who also writes for the show. And uh, so that's that's coming up probably in the next few months. show comes out once monthly, except for June, which has been freaking insane. Mm-hmm. You have a plethora, in the words of Three Amigos. All right, guys, uh, I, I'm going to log off the conversation. All right, well, I'll stop my recording. Um, <laughs> guys, <laughs> this has been insane. This it's has been, been fun. good. It's been fun. It's been, Thank you so much. It's been great having you on again, Nick. And Billy, it's great having you on for the first time, hopefully not the last time. I don't think it will be. It's also weird to meet, to meet you, Billy, because uh, like Mike and I chat fairly frequently. Mm-hmm. So it was nice to meet you. Yeah, nice to meet you guys. It's it's weird, like actually, like speaking to you guys and having you respond to me because I feel like I listen to your podcasts, and so you're <laughs> just like voices that can get go and talk, and then. <laughs> All right, give Amelia right. a hug for us. All right, see you guys later. Take care. Yeah, take care, man. Bye. Are you okay? <laughs> <laughs>